It's always uh, great to be here, especially during this uh, time uh, where we're dealing with the topic of heroes of the faith. I think heroes come in all different... Uh, I don't want to... I'm, I'm lost for words. They all come from different parts of life and journeys. And the important thing isn't what you do in terms of achievement, because it's really never achievement-based or what our Lord tells us to do, but it's living your life in whatever journey that God has allowed us to live in, in whatever work, relationships, whatever children we have, whether we are single, uh, whether we are tall or whether we are short. And I give thanks for the opportunity to continue uh, in this series. Well, if you don't know who I am, I'm Jeff, uh, frequent uh, guest speaker here for, I think, over 10 years. I'm getting a long time. I, I was here last week, so some of you uh, look familiar. Uh, it's really bad when my wife says, you better not wear that shirt anymore because every video is going to have that shirt. So she chose a new <laughs> shirt for me. So uh, this is like, I think, the first time I'm wearing it. Okay. Now, I always like to update what I have done since the last time I spoke, but since it's only been seven days ago, there's very mu not much to share. But there is, I mentioned that uh, last week was Father's Day and that I was going to eat uh, Shabu, which I did and I enjoyed it so much that my wife and I went back Friday night to do it. But the best thing about the Shabu last Sunday was not the food, was the fact that I didn't have to pay the tab Okay, that's like, whoa, hallelujah, you know? But I'm going back to uh, see my daughter uh, in the East Bay. Probably I'll leave, uh, I'll be there for dinner, and I think I have to return the favor, so the money just goes back. It's just a revolving door, okay? Spending time with my daughter, who has, has come back to the Bay with her family, uh, is a great joy in my life. And uh, it brings back memories, though, of times of the journey that I've had with my daughter and my daughter's daughters, a plural, that with all the joys that I have in the memories, um, there was a lot of uh, uh, difficult moments in that journey that I have to say. And it's at the times of that difficult journey that you have to have some sort of balance, some sort of commitment, because it's not always that it's so easy, you follow God and then all the people around you just, you know, adore you and everything's so happy and things like that, you know. Uh, it was very different. It was difficult at times, I gotta tell you. And I don't think I'm the only one who lives a faith in the midst of imperfect long term relationships. How do you maneuver that? What do you say? How do you respond? It's time that actually tests your faith. How does it work out? And I'm not talking about relationships you have with strangers. Because, you know, that, that you could just say what you want and you don't have to see them again or, you know, uh, uh, situations that are just sort of like, you know, casual where, you know, there's no, no real depth. We're talking about longer term relationships, sort of like, you know, a parent child or, or, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse relationships, could be long term work relationships or something, could be church relationships, could be dear friends, you see. Not always perfect. As a matter of fact, I think if you thought of your life, there might be one of those imperfect type of relationships that you're just you know, bound to. How do you speak truth in the life of that person? How do you deal with the person? And it's very, very trying, I'll tell you that. 
it's not like you say it and then, oh, wow, the burden's lifted and I feel wonderful. No, 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 no. It's not always, it's not always that way. And we see the text, we're going to see that. Okay. The person I have chosen and the title of the sermon is The Weird Hero. And the reason why he's weird is because he was called by God to minister at a very unusual time. And he was, he was told by God to do unusual things. When Ezekiel lived, God had been with the nation of Israel for about a thousand years from the, from the way beginning. And most of those thousand years, for us a thousand years is a long time, okay? But for God, it's not a long time. But from the human perspective, it's very long. If you talk about good years and bad years, there's mostly bad years, okay? And right during the time of Ezekiel, um, you'll be getting the next phase of how bad it was because uh, what is happening, uh, 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 the remaining part of the kingdom of God is going to go into captivity in Babylon. And Ezekiel was the first group. And you say, well, I don't, what are you talking about? I don't, I don't even know that. So just to tell you that God is now putting the screws upon Israel so that after a thousand years, you know, maybe they can get it. But they weren't getting it. So Ezekiel is called into action. It's like living with someone and, you know, you talk to them nicely, you raise them, and then they're not getting it, man. So what do I do next? With that, we come into this book. The sermon's going to be in three parts. The first part has three parts. The second part has two parts. And the last part has one part. Just to tell you, if you're taking, keeping score, that's where I'm going to be. Okay, so we're in part one, A in part one. And I'm going to have three points. And the first point about Ezekiel is how unusual he is. And it's not the past, it's weird one, okay? Weird one is he was called by an unusual name. Okay, like people in the Bible, they had names. Names were very significant because in the Bible, when someone was called by a name, and it's kind of weird, it almost had a reflection upon their destiny. So names are really crucial when people name them. You know, it wasn't like, oh, it's the popular name. Okay. Ezekiel, that's his formal name, was addressed by God with an unusual name. Over 90 times, God addresses Ezekiel, son of man. Now, I don't know about you. That's a little weird. Okay. Son of man. Okay. Imagine if you meet someone, what's your name? My name's human. Got a last name? Being. I was like, okay, you know, wise guy, okay? Human being, okay, I get it. It's another thing, and this is much more insulting. If let's say I talk to you before the service or after service, shaking hands and stuff, and I get to know your name. And let's say your name is John. That's a very generic name. If your name is John, I'm not picking on you or anything, okay? It's a very generic name, okay? My, and let's say, Next time I come, I call everyone by the first name that I remember, but I call you, hi, human being. Everyone else is the first name, but for you, and I know your name. I know it's John, but I want to call you human being. You would say, what in the world is up with Jeff? I am so insulted, I am never coming back. Okay, so you have to understand, God is calling Ezekiel to identify him, not by his personal identity, but with his species. Hi, animal. Hi, biological unit. What gives? Now, from the human perspective, this is, well, it's, it's kind of demeaning here. 
because it's removing your identity. But from the big picture of this, as we come to that last part, you're gonna see why he has called this over 90 times. There's a weird number two. And the weird number two is that not only was he given an unusual name, he was asked to do the impossible. No wonder the world am I talking about. There's gonna be a passage that flashes onto your screen and it's gonna be found in the book of Ezekiel, chapter two, verses one to five. Goes like this. Then he said to me, son of man, of course, you now, now you know why it's in, over 90 times, son of man, stand on your feet that I may speak with you. As he spoke to me, the spirit entered me and set me on my feet and I heard him speaking to me. Then he said to me, son of man, I am sending you to the sons of Israel, to rebellious people who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. I am sending you to them who are stubborn and obstinate children, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, as for them, whether they listen or not, for they are rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And Ezekiel is a prophet of God, and one of the characteristics of the prophet of God is you tell the truth. The thing about this passage, and uh, it, it's off the screen, but there was a phrase that, that got to me. You will speak to them whether they listen or not. See, part of me don't get this. I love mathematics when I was young. I'm not, you know, I didn't do anything mathematics. After a while, I was I'm fed up with mathematics. But there's always a calculating side to me. I'd say, look, what use is it if you ask me to do something that there's no chance for success? I'm not doing it. Jeff don't like to be set up for failure. Okay, I don't think any of you like to be set up for failure, you know? You wanted reason a degree, I can succeed. 51%, God. Okay, maybe 49, but I want, you know, close to 50-50. God's saying, look, <laughs> later you'll say, then I listen to it. What gives? What, what do you got? Because it, what you're having is the need to speak truth into someone. You see, we live in a society where the result and the response is what is key. God lives in a realm in which the truth needs to be expressed to individuals, regardless of how they respond to you or not. Like, like I always find this difficult because uh, I'm, I'm Chinese and Asian. And part of me is that when I was growing up, we were taught to avoid conflict at all costs. Just do your job, do well, don't make any trouble, okay? So, you know, God's asking me, I'm in the ministry, you know, go talk in front of people. You know, I don't want to do it, you know, I, want, I don't want to do it. It's like, look at me, look at me, look at me. Look at how you made me, you know. Can I bring in a bag of oranges or something, you know, just like, you know, visit them and shake their hands and, you know, everything is fine, you know. What, what's, what's, you know, what, what, what do I have to, like, confront people? It's, it's, not, it's not in my culture, you know, to confront people. You know, shake their hands, you know, say everything's fine, you know. You know, you know. Isn't that what it is? People like you, you know. And then I'm, uh, I try to be modern, you know, I try to be hip, you know. I'm like, uh, you know, going, you're not going to see Jeff tuck in his shirt anymore. You know, I just want to tell you that. That was, that was, that left with the 80s, you know. I'm going to tuck my shirt and I'll leave it out, you know. But it was, a, it was a hard transition, you know, to take the, you know. Take the, I feel a little self-conscious now that my shirt is out. But that's the, that's the mood look, you know. You want to be hip, you want to be cool, you want the shirt out, you know. Okay. I'll tell you what. The new millennium. I don't want to be a hater. I just want to tell you that. 
One thing I've learned in the year 2015 that is bad to be a hater. And when I listen to some radio on the way, you know, look, I'm cool, I'm hip, I'm with it. I listen to Taylor Swift, you know? And in one of her recent songs, she said, players play, play, play. Haters hate, hate, hate. And I'll tell you what, you know, I, I don't want to be either. I don't want to be a player, and I don't want to be a hater, you know? I just want to be that. I don't want to be that, you know? So, so you give your opinion, basically, and the opinion is to, you know, say that you're not doing right. You're a hater. That's bad. It's a nice slogan. I don't want to be a hater, and I'm Chinese too. So I have two reasons why not to tell you, okay? Now, some of you who have been believers for a long time, or that's your personality, have no trouble speaking truth in people's lives. And that is a very good thing that you have a characteristic in your life to speak truth. But for most people I know, it's a difficult thing to speak truth. We don't like to do it because oftentimes there is the backlash, okay? To which now we come with this, a second and third passage uh, from the book of Ezekiel. And the next one will be in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. And it goes like this, and this is God empowering Ezekiel because the backlash is very, very strong. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them or dismayed before them, though they are a rebellious house. Now, that's very, very interesting. Because all of you know, or if you don't know, I'll tell you now, that when you try to speak truth into someone, nine times out of 10, you better you better beware of the counterpunch, man, and the counterattack, man, because they're not going to be, oh, thank you, here's $10, you know? They're not going to do that, you know? Only Chinese do that, you know? Uh, but, but there's going to be a counterpunch, you know? No way, you know, that's you, you know, you're, 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 you know, boom, boom, boom. And I'll tell you, in any long-term relationship, you're talking uh, with adults or a parent-child or, 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 or deep friends or people at church that you've known for a long time, when you try to speak truth into them, it can get really messy. It gets personal. I remember one day I was driving my daughter when she was young, one of my daughters, and you try to speak truth in their lives. And one day she said something and I just had enough, man. And I was in the car, I stopped the car, I started crying on the steering wheel with my daughter in the back. I just tell you, it's, it's reality of that, that the counterpunch. That's why God says, you know what? I gotta make your head like Flint, man. You gotta take the headbutt, man. Because you know, when you speak truth to people's lives, they're gonna headbutt you back. And it's gonna hurt. And really, what you need to do is that, as you do, it's not just the speaking of the truth, but it's the ability to withstand the counter blow that will come back. Because it will come back, you know? It will come back. There's another verse that comes up. It is found in chapter 3, verse uh, 26 and 27. It goes like this. Moreover, I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth so that you will be mute and cannot be a man uh, who rebukes them, for they are a rebellious house. 
But when I speak to you, I will open your mouth and you will say to them, thus says the Lord God, he who hears, let them hear, and he who refuses, let him refuse, for they are rebellious house. Now, this is very interesting because God is saying, you know what? I'm going to ensure you son of man, AKA Ezekiel, that you never will speak your own opinion. I will control your mouth. You will not have the ability to say your own words. You will only say the words of God when I allow you. Son of man, talk. Don't talk. Talk. No, that's your opinion. Don't talk. Talk. Here's the words. Because the truth is going to be accurate and the truth cannot contain things of your own peculiar personality because too often when we talk to someone about truth, oftentimes it's Jeff's truth being merged in the God truth. Always that way. And it's very, very hard to differentiate the two. Sometimes we just like, you know, you could be like, I speak truth. Well, well Jeff, you're just an annoying person. That is a very, very important distinction you gotta make. So that as you talk truth into someone, the more you can remove your personality and your own personal likes and dislikes and fall upon the truth, the more accurate it is. Now, God went to extremes with Ezekiel, controlling his mouth. I, I thank God that it doesn't happen with us, okay? But these are some points that we can understand because it's very, very important to speak truth and to speak accurately truth into long-term relationships, okay? Because oftentimes we'd say, no, you know, I just don't want to make any trouble, you know? How do people change? And that's the thing. But there's more than just this uh, weirdness, unusual in terms of uh, speaking truth into someone's lives and being empowered. There's a third point that's going to come up now. We're three. The Son of Man bore an unusual guilt. And as we go in the life of Ezekiel in the early chapters, the more there are things that is odd, things we might be able to do some, and then there's a point in which, man, this guy is really unusual. And we get to this third point that he bears an unusual guilt. The unusual or weird quotient goes off the charts. And the passage we will get is in Ezekiel chapter four, verse 1 to 8. And it's a long passage, but we got to get to verse 8. Now you son of man, now you now understand why he's called that. Get yourself a brick. Okay? You go to Costco, not Costco, you go to Home Depot, Lowe's. I think their bricks, where bricks are like this. I think the bricks back there are bigger, okay? This, I, you know, I don't have one, but I think they're bigger, okay? Set it before you and inscribe a city on it, Jerusalem. Then lay siege against it, build a siege wall, raise up a ramp, pitch camps, and place battering rams against it all around. Then get yourself an iron plate and set it up as an iron wall between you and the city. And set your face toward it so that it is under siege and besiege it. This is a sign to the house of Israel. Now, before we read this next passage, we will stay on. First, this ups the weird quotient. Okay, it's one thing to speak truth. Now, God asked Ezekiel, a.k.a. son of man, 
I want you to play toy soldier, okay? I want you to get a brick, get little ice cream sticks, get little siege ramps, get little tiny men that you could probably get at the toy store. Start moving them around, okay? And I want you to play toy soldier because it's going to reenact the future siege and fall of Jerusalem. Now that's weird. It gets even weirder. As for you, lie down on your left side and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel on it. You shall bear their iniquity for the number of days that you lie on it. For I have assigned you a number of days corresponding to the years of their iniquity. How many days do I stay on my left side? 390 days. Thus you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. Next. When you have completed these, if you thought 13 months was not long enough, you get to stretch. Only now you shall lay down a second time, but on your right side, and bear the iniquity of the house of Judah. I have assigned it to you for 40 days, a day for each year when you shall set your face toward the siege of Jerusalem, with your arms bared and prophesy against it. Now behold, I will put ropes on you so that you cannot turn from one side to the other until you have completed the days of your siege. This is really strange. Playing toy soldier for 14 and a half months and he's laying on one side in front of your house. How can't you move? God tied me up. Where are the strings? Trust me, God tied me up. You're going to call 911 in a little while. I don't understand this. What makes it really interesting is he's not only reenacting, but the God makes it very, very clear to the Son of Man that you are going to bear the iniquity of that siege so that you're going to be a part of that siege or the penalty phase of that siege. See, people know, what is iniquity? There's different words for iniquity. Transgression, there's sin, there's missing the mark, and then there's this, this word iniquity. Well, iniquity is a fancy word for really focusing on the guilt of what you do, the guilt aspect. Ezekiel asked to bear the guilt. i tell you something. You can help people a lot of ways. But I'll tell you, no one bears the guilt of anybody. It's not normal, okay? Like, let's say you're talking truth to somebody and they don't, they don't like what you're saying. Okay, you can show compassion to them. Be kind to them, show commitment to them. You can be kind with your words and gracious. You can, you, 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 you can help them finances, even though they, they've rejected what you say as a sign of our compassion. But none of us has the ability to bear the penalty phase of what they deserve before God. You gotta be kidding, man. I can forgive them. But to bear the penalty phase before God, to be in, as I reenact this whole siege of Jerusalem, you see, that itself is bizarre. To me, the most bizarre thing is that you are going to bear the, the guilt for them for 14 and a half months. How in the world does the Son of Man bear the guilt for 14 and a half months? Well, I got to tie you up. It's easy. 
okay, there's certain things you will never be with Ezekiel, and you will never be this. But we can do things all the way up to that in terms of graciousness, kindness, and some aspect bearing their burden, even though they are not listening to the truth that you are saying. Now, with this, we come to a point, the second phase of the sermon, which is two parts, and the reflection part. Reflection number one, our response is between truth and carrying their burden. See, this is a key, because there's gonna be some things that you learn about Ezekiel that we can learn from and be a little bit like. And one of the endearing truths that is found in Ezekiel is this, as we interact in long-term relationships, where there is a sort of like, I, I, I gotta speak truth in, into someone's life, is this, is this balance between the truth I say and the graciousness that I live. Okay, let me give you some examples. When I was a younger, okay, when I had my shirt tucked in my pants, okay, just want to tell you that, uh, I was leading a small group and uh, one of the couples in my school, married couple, the wife decided to have an affair with a married man. And they were living together. And the head pastor said, you know, we, we need, to talk to, need to talk to them. And I'll tell you, my Asian-ness kicked in high, started to sweat, you know. I'll tell you, when I was growing up, I would never learn to confront man. <laughs> Amazing. I'll bring the oranges, man. I, but I'm not, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not, I don't want, I don't want, you know what? You know, it's like, I don't, you know, just, you, you, you can't believe because I wasn't raised that way, you know? And sometimes your person, maybe you don't want to raise it, but your personality is like, I don't, I don't want to do it. Let the other person do it. I don't want to do it. It's too harsh. They're going to hate me for it. And you know what Taylor Swift says? You don't want to be a hater, you know? And I don't want to be a hater, and I don't want to be a hater, you know? So he, I go with him. Because I think if I would have said, no, I don't go, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been good, wouldn't have been good, you know. So I went, because I was a student back then. And I learned so much. He was the most gracious person. He was like, very cordial. And he said, you know, I just want to, you know, that we love you. And I just want to read some scripture. And he read some scripture. And he said, you know, what you're doing is wrong. In a very calm voice, like I'm saying here. And, but whatever you need to get better will be right behind you. Finance, whatever, you know, we'll help you, whatever it takes. And I learned that day from that living example how this balance between truth and compassion and grace finds itself out in real life. There's a more current story that I want to share. It has to do with um, someone my wife knows who um, meeting with a, a woman who's having a very difficult relationship with her daughter. And the, they were raised Christian, the daughter was raised Christian, strong the faith, to which the mother has trouble with something that the, the daughter is doing and causing much tension in the family. And it was very, very difficult for her because she felt that as a Christian, you should, you know, live the straight and narrow, you know. And over the months, as this woman was growing in Christ, 
she said to my wife, and this was recently, last, this past week, she said, I have learned something. I've learned that in the past when I spoke truth, it was almost like nagging. It was top down. How come you don't go to church? How come you don't do this? How come you don't do this? And she came to the realization that she had a very legalistic and a very severe tone and could not express the love and compassion of God when someone rejected what you said. And this is, this is mother-daughter. This is long-term. And she said recently she has learned that she needs to show the grace of God and compassion and the care of a mother and daughter even in the midst when someone has rejected your teaching to demonstrate a commitment, a gracious commitment, an ongoing commitment. And that is often very, very hard because oftentimes you say something to someone and man, counterpunch, man, and then you take it personally, man, and you up it and you say, boom. Then you get back in and you say, boom. And the last thing on your mind is to show a commitment of grace to someone. Sometimes we don't want to say it. And we said, we don't want to say truth because it's, it's very messy. I once heard a very, very a friend of mine, a mentor of, my, of mine, he says, you know what, Jeff? A Christian has to realize that life is messy. And it's the ability to apply truths amidst messiness because it doesn't always cut so cleanly like other people do. We're in the mess the ability to commit and balance. Now, those are the reflections for us. Now I come to the final point, and there's one. When I read the book of Ezekiel, I always think of him as a strange person called to do the impossible, given a, a strange, weird name, asked to bear a guilt that I don't want to bear. How can I bear someone's guilt, man? I can forgive them, but I don't want to bear their guilt. This is where, even though Ezekiel can be sort of a model for us to sort of understand and apply, Ezekiel actually looks to a different person. For me, I see Ezekiel weird, but as I study the scriptures, Ezekiel is one of the most honored people ever because Ezekiel is a foreshadow of Christ. Ezekiel is called son of man by God, seemingly demeaning. Imagine someone will come 600 years later who will choose that name for himself. The most frequent self-disclosure of Jesus to other people, the name he chooses for himself, son of man. Why did he choose that? What is the meaning to one when it's placed in the context of another? It is not demeaning because he understands what he will do. He will be born of a human mother, Mary, and he will identify with the human race. And even though he is the very son of God, he will choose that name for himself. It's not weird. It's only weird if you don't know what Jesus is going to do. Ezekiel, a.k.a. Son of Man, 
is told to speak truth, and he would have a, a hardened forehead to take the counterpunches. And his mouth would be almost like a puppet. You only say what I say. Imagine someone will come 600 years later, he says, you know what? I don't need the body armor. I could take the headbutt, I could take the spitting, I could take the ridicule, I could take the beating, I could take the whipping, I can take the crucifixion. I don't need the body armor. I don't even need you to control my mouth because Jesus is the very word of God. In his life, in his speech, it pours out in everything he says in his life. For Ezekiel, a.k.a. son of man, he's forced to lie down for 14 and a half months to bear the iniquity or the guilt phase of the punishment of another person in which he has nothing to do with what they did. Jesus will joyfully go to the cross and not just bear the iniquity for 14 and a half months for a generation of people. He will bear the guilt penalty for everyone in the human race, everyone seated in this room. For what we think Ezekiel is so weird, it is only weird if I don't know the end of the story. Because when I know the end of the story, Ezekiel had the greatest honor ever. For in his life, and in his calling, and in his words, it is as he lived out in a small way what Jesus Christ would do for the world. It's an incredible story in time that relates to us in modern time that looks into eternal time. Where are you today? For some of you, you can speak truth in people's lives. And I give you thanks for that. You are truly blessed. But for some, you speak truth, but it is very harsh truth. And you don't know the commitment of grace. And that is what you need to show bear their burden in some way. You can never bear their guilt, only Christ will. But bear their burden and be kind. Be committed in that. Continue. Jesus tells us to bless those who curse us. That is exactly what's happening here. For others, you are very, very gracious, but you are so gracious you are an enabler because you cannot speak truth. Ask God for the ability to empower you to speak the truth in a kind but clear tone. For others, this is the first time you've ever heard about Jesus in your first sermon, and it sounds kind of weird, man. It's a weird guy. I don't know what's going on. All I tell you this. Sometimes you think of Christianity and a bunch of moral naggers, okay? I tell you, there's a grander story than that. Really, that moral nagging is a misrepresentation of what we are. We are people 
who speak the truth in calm, uh, calmness and graciousness, who will manifest the compassion of Jesus Christ and of God to people even who do not hold what I hold or say what I say. Maybe some of you need your guilt taken away. I ask you to consider Jesus. I'm speak to a staff member at uh, Cornerstone after the service, and they will help you. I have the final grace to close us in prayer. After that, we have the receiving of offering and the final song. Allow me to pray for you. Our Heavenly Father, I pray for these, my friends. Help us in our journey as we all become heroes of the faith. I pray for those in long-term relationships where there is a little bit of correction needed, Lord. Help them in whatever they need, Lord. But in all we are, always have us see that it is Christ that is the end of everything. You are all, you did all, and it is who we worship and praise. I thank God that you have bore my guilt, not just for 14 and a half months, but for the 59 and a half years that I have lived. I give you thanks.